Thank you, Ian. Uh, keep your Bible open. Uh, it'd be great to follow along in the passage. Uh, it's not a long passage, but it is a weighty one. So let's uh, pray together. Uh, dear Lord, uh, we do thank you that you give us your word, that you speak to us through it. Uh, we pray that by your spirit today, uh, that you will cut us to the heart. Uh, help us to hear the things that we need to hear, uh, that we will grow to be more like you. And we pray for these things in your son's name. Amen. If you ask someone on the street to share their perception of Christians, then I'm sure they'd say some positive things. You know, like Christians uh, are committed to helping other people. Uh, But I think if you pushed a little bit further or asked a few more people, uh, very quickly you would start hearing things like Christians are hypocritical or judgmental or intolerant. And then after that it gets all MA15+. But I don't think it's just the outsider. If you asked Christians what they don't like about Christians, I suspect we would say very similar things. And in fact, for some Christians, they feel so judged by the church that in fact they just give up altogether. Uh, So when I was younger, uh, one of our good friends, our our current good friends, a young girl decided to go out with uh, a guy she really liked, but who wasn't a Christian. And so her Christian friends uh, sat her down and really challenged her about her choices. Was this a wise and godly choice to make? And as they talked together and they tried to help her to see the implications of her choices and perhaps some of the temptations that she would face when she's dating someone who has a completely different worldview, she felt completely judged to the point of leaving church altogether. But here's the dilemma. Did they actually do the wrong thing? Did the friends really do the wrong thing? Because it sounds like they were judging her. But then if we look at other passages in Scripture... Like, for example, Luke 17. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. So rebuking requires some sort of judgment. Or perhaps Paul in 1 Corinthians 5. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put him out of your fellowship, the man who had been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. Or James, whoever turns a sinner from the errors of their way will be saving them from death and covering over a multitude of sins. So now we have what seem to be two principles in conflict. And so our challenge today is to open up this passage and say, well, what does Jesus really mean? Uh, And as we look at the whole passage, rather than just a couple of words, I think we can see quite clearly. So in the previous section, uh, for those who perhaps missed last week or need a refresher, 
uh, we were talking about love your enemies. So not only are we called to humble ourselves and forsake our rights, but we are to actively seek to bless those who curse us, to give them what they do not deserve without any expectation of getting anything in return. And so now Jesus goes on to talk to his disciples about how we should respond to the sin of those around us. And in particular, how we should respond to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's have a look at it together. Verse 37. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. So it sounds like Jesus is saying we should never make any value judgment about what anyone else does, ever. It's their life, it's their choice, and whatever they do, it's between them and God. And if we don't judge them, then God will not judge us. And if you're a person who is kind of keen on conflict avoiding, uh, that sounds pretty good. You know, just sort of live and let live. But if you think about it a bit longer, it's actually quite a a tragic approach to life. Because if we can't make any value judgment on anything, then we can't call out evil in the world. We can't call out injustice. When we see someone potentially making bad choices, we can't warn them. Because all of those things require making some sort of judgment. And I think the key to understanding this passage is verse 38. So look at it with me. For with this measure you use, it will be measured to you. So when Jesus says, do not judge, what he's rebuking is that self-righteous judgment, the hypocrisy and our tendency to place ourselves above someone else, to consider our behaviour as superior while looking down on their behaviour. And if we really test our motives sometimes, we know that when we our righteous anger and frustration and outrage is actually not so much about them and their godliness or God's honour, but it's about us. And so Jesus is rebuking us for our hypocrisy. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So when God judges, he does it from a position of being all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. He does it from a position of being the one who set the standard for everything. He created everything. It's all his. So when he judges, he judges perfectly. Me, on the other hand, not so perfect. When I judge, I do it from the perspective of my sinful nature, within my own selfishness. I see things in part, but I don't necessarily see them in full, and so I I jump to all sorts of conclusions. And I can see other people's sin with that razor-sharp clarity and at the same time be in complete denial about my own and I suspect I'm not alone I suspect for all of us here give us the right topic at the right time 
And we would all see that within ourselves, wouldn't we? We don't all struggle with the same sin. And perhaps it's easy to look down when someone is struggling with a sin that is different to yours. I don't struggle with horse racing. I don't get horse racing. Um, so that's not my particular thing. I don't have a, gambling's not really my thing. But you could pick a dozen others for me. We've all got our different sins, but we're so quick to judge on the ones which aren't ours, aren't we? But when we make judgments, what Jesus is saying to us is, do not be a hypocrite. Do not consider yourself better or more righteous than anyone else. And if we do, God will not only judge us for our sin, for the standard we set on others, but God will judge us for our attitude. We have received grace. So how dare we not be gracious to others? But instead, forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So rather than having a judgmental spirit, we're called to be generous, a generous spirit. And a generous spirit doesn't ignore sin, but it's ready to forgive sin. A generous spirit desires reconciliation in the same way that God desires to be reconciled with us. But perhaps even before we get to forgiveness, why don't we start with a gracious assumption? Let's not assume the motives when someone does an action we find frustrating. Let's not assume that it was intentional or malicious or against us, because that's often where I jump. That actually your action is specifically designed against me. Why don't we start with a gracious assumption that it's not actually all about me, that it is a genuine mistake. But we also know that's not completely true, isn't it? Because we all do intentional things. We actually all do malicious things. And when that happens, then we need to be ready with forgiveness. And forgiveness is tough, isn't it? You know, it's easy to forgive superficial things, but when it's long, ongoing type of sin, the sin that really gets under our personality, it really corrodes our identity and our sense of confidence. Those sins are tough to forgive. But Jesus calls us in this passage to forgive as we have been forgiven. The word literally uh, forgive means to release. So when we forgive someone, we release them of what they have done. And often we don't want to forgive because we don't want to release. We want them to stay and recognize the pain that they have caused. But as Jesus forgives us, we are called to forgive others, to show the same grace that we've been given. And actually, there's a real freedom in that. There is a freedom in letting go of our anger and bitterness. There is a release not just for them, there is a release for us. And Jesus calls us to show the same grace. But it's not just a release from hurt. Forgive and you will be forgiven. We all need God's forgiveness, don't we? 
You know, it doesn't take very long or much self-reflection to realise that at the heart of it, we're not particularly nice people. Our world wants to say we are good people and periodically we do some bad things. But I think if we look at ourselves long enough, we realise it's pretty much the opposite. We're actually pretty bad people and periodically we do some good things. But God forgives us. This passage isn't saying offer forgiveness and you will earn your salvation and be forgiving. Jesus is saying this is what forgiven people do. You can tell a tree by its fruit. That's what the next passage talks about. And for us as Christians, we should be characterised by forgiveness. And we're not going to do it perfectly, are we? We are going to stumble, we are going to fall, we are going to struggle. But we are called to be characterised by forgiveness and to show the same grace and mercy and generosity that God shows us. But forgiveness isn't the same as simply going back to the way things were. I think sometimes when we expect others to forgive us, we also expect things to just to go back to the way things were. If I had an affair, then I can be forgiven by God. I can be forgiven by Sarah, by our kids. I can be forgiven by you. But I should never be restored into this place as a leader and a shepherd of this flock. My action has disqualified me from that. And my action may well disqualify me from being in the same role in my family. I may no longer be a husband living in the same house with my wife and my children. I can be forgiven. I can still be a Christian man living under grace but I I may well now have to live with a new status quo. So absolutely we are talking about forgiveness, but we cannot expect that things will necessarily always be the same. So a generous spirit forgives and a generous spirit gives. It's about as close to alliteration as I ever get. So verse 38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. It's a marketplace image. Uh, In 2011, uh, our family went to Tanzania uh, to a place called Masoma. Uh, We're working with uh, CMS missionaries over there uh, and working with local churches. And this is a picture of the local supermarket. Uh, and it was beans, if you, you could have anything you want, as long as it's beans. Uh, there's a few other things around. But uh, for most people, uh, beans are cheap and they're nutritious. Uh, and in a subsistence culture, uh, for most people, that's what they could afford. Uh, and the image we have here in this particular passage is, you know, way back when you'd, you'd turn up to the market with your basket You'd agree on a price of, of what you'd pay for a basket full, and then the stall owner would, would fill it up. But the image we have here is he fills it up, and then he gives it a good shakedown, and then he presses it down, and then he fills it up some more to the point where it's overflowing. It's an abundant generosity. And that's how God calls us to treat others. Generous with our time, generous with our resources, generous with our attitude. 
You know, how do we genuinely and deeply bless other people? And I think as a church, that's something we do well. You know, one of the things I've loved about coming here is just seeing how willing people are to serve each other. You know, whether it's, you know, heaving the world's largest jumping castle back onto a ute or setting up for lunch or setting up in here with, with uh, chairs and things or meeting with someone to pray for them or calling them during the week, uh, running Bible studies, leading in youth. You know, whatever it is, there are so many people who are recognising, you know, the, the joy it is to be the body of Christ and working out how we can continue to use our gifts uh, to bless each other, uh, to bless our community and for the glory of God. And that's a huge blessing, isn't it? And we're called to do that more and more. And sometimes it's convenient. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's the small things like giving someone a lift home. Sometimes generosity is really inconvenient. It might be having someone live in your home or lending someone a significant amount of money. Uh, but we're called to have a generous spirit, generous in action and generous in heart. I think sometimes I can be generous in action but not so generous in heart. You know, I do it, but everything else says I'm not happy about it. Uh, We should be people who exude a joy and a pleasure in being generous to each other. How can I help? What can I do? Would you like fries with that? That that should be our heart's desire. Again, we don't do it perfectly, but we just keep getting up and keep trying because that's what we've all been beneficiaries of. And when we do so, we do it knowing that God has been generous to us. So God is not saying here, or Jesus isn't saying, give a dollar and you get five. Okay? He's not a cosmic, you know, poker machine. Uh, What he is saying is... (laughs) So I'm glad that worked. What he is saying... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it works the other way. Give a dollar. You get 20 cents back. Um, but what he is saying is, is that we have been generously blessed, not just materially, although that is often true, but we've been blessed with the joy and the privilege of being part of his family, the joy and the privilege of knowing that we please our Father in heaven. And we have a certain hope and a certain future. So, so far, Jesus said, don't be judgmental, but instead be generous. And then Jesus goes on to tell this parable, which to me sounds more like a proverb, but the passage says parable, so parable it is. Verse 39, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. It feels like uh, Jesus is kind of interrupting the flow of his argument a little bit here, Uh, but his point is clear that if we claim to be followers of Jesus, then we need to listen to his wisdom. And what he's got to say is so profoundly counter-cultural. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do not judge. Do not condemn. It's a stark contrast to the Pharisees who are all about following the rules and rights and clean and unclean and socially acceptable. And now Jesus comes along and he's talking all about grace and mercy and humility. And there are still boundaries. There is still right and wrong. 
there is still sin. But what has changed is our attitude and how we approach those who sin against us. Not as self-righteous, but as one person who's been saved to another. And Jesus says we need to decide who we're going to follow. Are we going to follow, be like the blind leading the blind? Or are we going to follow him and follow his example? But we can't pick and choose. We can't say, I just want a bit of Jesus and a bit of our culture. We can't cherry pick. We are either for Jesus, following him, or we are not. But they are the only two choices. And we won't follow perfectly. We will stumble. But our eyes are clearly fixed on him. And that's what we're trying to do now, isn't it? As we open up God's word together, we're trying to say, Jesus, where do you want us to go? And we pray that his Holy Spirit leads us to hear what we need to hear. So do not be judgmental, but instead be generous. Do not follow the blind, but instead be like your teacher. And then finally, we bring it all together. Be humble. How should I respond to my brother and sister in Christ? Verse 42. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's a really graphic image, isn't it? You know, I'm not quite sure what it really looks like to get a plank in your eye, but it sounds really, really painful. But it's overwhelming. How can you possibly see anything else uh, if your vision is obscured by a whopping big log? But it also says something that's really about your sin. You know, we, we often point the finger at other people's sin without recognising just how much sin there is in our own lives. So absolutely, we should love our brothers and sisters in Christ enough to challenge them in their sin and to encourage them back. But we start by looking in the mirror and by recognising that we have our own issues to deal with and to start with our sin and the consequences of our sin before we judgmentally point out the sin of others. And so going back to our story at the beginning with my friend, what should they have done? I think the answer is they did the right thing. I presume they did it humbly. I presume they did it graciously, desiring the good of their friend. They did judge. They saw a friend in danger and in need, and they approached them for their sake and for their godliness. But they do so from a position recognising they're not better, not superior. The other person is not worse, but desiring their godliness. And we can't be responsible for how people choose to respond. We can be gracious, but they have to choose how they respond to that. And can I encourage us when we are rebuked? No one likes being rebuked. But if we think and believe and have that gracious assumption that it is for our good, then we should come to actually thank them rather than be frustrated. 
Because isn't that what we want? Ultimately, this is about humbly walking together and desiring the godliness of the other for the glory of God. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you for the grace that you show each of us. We pray that we will appreciate it just more profoundly every day, that we will see your mercy to us and that that will impact the way that we then approach our relationships and how we approach sin around us. Uh, Help us to be humble. uh, Help us to be gracious and merciful. uh, But also help us to love our friends and our neighbours and our brothers and sisters in Christ enough to be able to challenge them when they're entangled in the world and struggling with sin. We pray for all of these things in your son's name. Amen.